Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're finding in the Word of God that any one of us can open the Bible and find out what God's will is for the general will of mankind, for his general desire for mankind. Next week, we're going to wrap it up by finding out how do I find the specific will that God has for my life. So we're going to talk about that then. We're still talking about God's revealed will as it pertains to his general plan for mankind. So we found out that primarily, obviously, the most basic will that God has for mankind is that nobody goes to hell and everyone is saved. Amen? Amen. So we found that out. We know that. We talked about how God's will is for us to, to distribute the love that he's placed in our hearts to others who have not experienced that. We understand that's his will. Last week, we touched on some other, a little bit more touchy subjects. We talked about alcohol use and drug abuse and substance abuse and things of this nature, how God has revealed his will in the word and, and the, uh, the alternatives that he's given us, and I don't have time to go in that. We also talked about God's will uh, as it pertains to sexual immorality and uh, staying pure and how it is his will for us to maintain ourselves in purity and holiness. These are important things because it's unfortunate to say this, the majority of the body of Christ has no clue what God says about these certain subjects. And we're going to talk about two subjects today. Again, that for the most part, individuals for some reason do not take the time to go into the word of God and to study for themselves what God says about these two main facets of our lives. We're going to talk about today, as we get ready to wrap this up, we're going to talk about what God's will is for marriage, and we're going to talk about what God's will is for finances. And, and the two of those, we're, we're purposely tying those together because many, 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 many times, the majority of times, when there's a problem, when, when an individual or a family's finances are outside of the will of God, it shows up in the marriage. It's going to, show, it's going to place a strain, there's going to be division, there's going to be strife, there's going to be confusion, and because one person will point to the other and say it's their fault that we're having financial problems, and basically it almost always stems from the fact that the finances are not lining up with the will of God. Amen? Let's talk about God's will for marriage. I pray that this answers some questions that many of you may have. I pray that this might cause you to avoid some problems in the future. For those of us that have been in this thing for a while and being married, for those of you that have been and maybe you're, you know, didn't go too well, you might be heading back in, or for those who have not yet been married, please pay attention to these things because these are very basic fundamental uh, revelations of God's will for our lives. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to write back to the beginning. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now let's look back at this again, because this is one of those scriptures, you, you know, we just blurt it out and we go, yeah, 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 I know. Hold on a second. <clears throat> let's look at this, okay? Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be so what's the problem here? What does God see as a, as a, as a deficiency here? He's what? Alone. Alone. He's lonely. Now, I had a, a real big problem with this verse of Scripture for many years because it doesn't make sense to me. If I'm alone, send me somebody to watch a movie with me and make sure they bring popcorn. 
If I'm lonely, I want company, right? If you're lonely, you would think the answer to that problem is a companion. But that's not the wording that, that, that the Holy Spirit uses. He uses the word helper. Now, this gives us a clue about what marriage is supposed to be about. He said, it's not good for this man to be alone in his work. It is not good for this man to be alone in the assignment that I've placed on his life. It is not good for man to be alone. In other words, the two become one flesh, and these two are supposed to work together to accomplish a specific mandate, a specific calling, a specific purpose. Okay? Now, the marriage gets in, gets in trouble when one or the other or both forget the assignment, forget the purpose, forget the mandate, the calling. So we're going to look in the Word and see what are some of the assignments that God has placed on a marriage. And we see right away, when the first one place I want to go to is Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Now, recognize that the Holy Spirit is speaking through this prophet. The prophet is writing it down to record it for us in the future. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Obviously, he's talking to the husband. And you see many times that God goes after the husband. I don't know why that is. When we get there, we'll find out. It's like this whole equality thing's not working out here, Lord. It's like you're always dealing with us. What about them? Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? The answer is yes. In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? And the answer is godly children from your union. We're supposed to produce the next generation. So guard your heart. Now hold on, it's getting a little tight here. Guard your heart and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Verse 16. Now let me just read this to you and then we'll talk about it. God speaking, for I hate divorce. Now, naturally, he's talking about divorce for no reason at all. So I'm at divorce outside of biblical reasons. So the Lord says the Lord, the God of Israel, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Says the Lord of heaven's armies, or we would say the Lord of hosts. So guard your heart, and let's take this as a warning and as, a, uh, as an admonition. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Let's read that again. Why don't you read it with me? Do not be unfaithful. Now all the wives are reading or saying it. <laughs> Come on, guys. Let's say it real loud. So do not be unfaithful to your wife. Pastor, I never touched another woman. Oh, Lord, do I go there? Jesus said, if you just look at another woman with the wrong intentions, you've already committed adultery. So let, let's be careful with this one, okay? Let's be careful with this one. Let's recognize that it also covers computer screens, mobile phones. Listen to last week's message. But the main point here is this, an assignment that's placed on a marriage from God the Father is there's an expectation to produce the next generation. Now, we recognize that there may be some people listening to this message, watching it online, say, well, 
I've been prevented from having children. We've just, we just never been able to have children. Okay, God knows that. But you can influence other children. You can adopt, obviously. But you also can raise up spiritual children to make sure that that spiritual side of things gets reproduced and that generation gets raised up of godly individuals. So what he's saying is there should be some product, there should be some evidence that this marriage existed at one time and a legacy that's left behind. Are you catching this? Now, let me explain this before I go any further because I neglected to explain it before. Today's message is gonna be more of an information transfer. All I wanna do, I I don't wanna bring you my opinion by no means. Uh, You're not expected to put your faith in my opinion. All I wanna do is bring the word of God to you because what's happening is many of us are not sitting down and finding out for ourselves what does God think about this particular subject? What does God think about that particular subject? We get content that we're going to heaven. Jesus is my savior. I'm not going to hell. And we stop there. But most of us could not say, what, is, what do you think that Jesus thinks about this subject? And what do you think that Jesus thought about this subject? And what do you think that God the Father has already declared about that particular subject? Most of us would not be able to answer those questions. And so that's what the series is about. You see, because when you are not settled in the, in the perfect will of God, you're, gonna, you're going to experience instability, you're gonna experience disorder, you're gonna experience confusion. You and I were created to thrive and to prosper when we are walking in the center of God's will for our lives. It's important for us to know this. Now, my responsibility is just to bring it to you. I'm not gonna play policeman. It's up to you whether you're gonna apply these scriptures. Because from here on in, some of these things, we may discover that some of us are not walking in the light of the word. The next assignment I want to go to in a marriage that rarely gets talked about is that a marriage is supposed to release the power of God into this earth. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gave us this principle. We call it the prayer of agreement. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, My Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Now, the the least amount of people that it takes to operate this principle is two. And the power of agreement that exists between a husband and wife is extremely powerful. And this is why the enemy comes to try to bring division in our households. This is why you can find yourself, you know, you can kind of gauge where you are Uh, in life and where you are spiritually, if you are approaching a position, let's say something's coming at your life, your your health is being affected, your finances are being affected, uh, something's wrong, maybe your children are are just, you know, not walking in the things of God, and so it's going to require the two of you together to pray. Well, don't be surprised when the enemy comes alongside that same season that you're going in, and all of a sudden now, brings division between you and your spouse. And most of the time, three days later, you can't even remember what you were arguing about. Because the fact is, the enemy of our souls, he knows us. And so out of nowhere, all of a sudden, he might bring a thought to your mind of something that your spouse did 20 years ago. 
And it just happens to be, pops up just at this time when the two of you really need to get together and pray. So now you've had a full-blown argument, and neither one of you have held back. You've both got in the flesh. You've had a full-blown argument. You're sleeping all the way down that end of the bed, and she's sleeping all the way down this end of the bed, and there's like Grand Canyon in between. In that, in that scenario, you're probably not going to reach across and say, hey, listen, we need to pray. Why? Because you're too concerned about the argument you just had. So what am I saying this for? Be aware that when things start popping up, when strife starts popping up, when division starts popping up, when memories of the past that there's no reason for you to be thinking along these lines start popping up, start thinking, hey, I'm being set up here so that we can operate in this power of agreement. That's the assignment that's on your life. Yet there's so many families that are dysfunctional. And all it would take would, would be a season of prayer to settle some of these things. But bitterness comes in. Hardness of heart settles in. One's cursing out the other. Oh, pastor, come on, Christian homes? Let's not even go there. So these are one of those assignments. Let me back it up with the scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And the husbands get thrown under the bus again. And same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Now watch this now. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you. And obviously, you know, this is talking about physically. Don't, don't read too much into that. But she is your what? Equal. Come on, say it loud. She is your what? Equal. Equal partner in God's gift of new life. In other words, you're both inheriting this new life together. And it's supposed to be experiencing it together. And all the blessings together. Treat her as you should. Now look at this. So your what? So your prayers will not be hindered. There it is. There it is. Now you notice it doesn't say that you can live happily ever after. It's not saying, look, keep peace in the house because you know, well, mom ain't happy and nobody happy. He's not saying that. What he's saying is this, that so your assignment does not get shipwrecked. So that you stick with the assignment of prayer. That when you two come together and pray, man, no devil in hell can stand against that agreement. Amen? So open your eyes. Be discerning. Recognize that when arguments and strife and tension, all this stuff's coming out of nowhere, there's a reason. It's to shut down that unity and to shut down that agreement that exists between a husband and a wife. Amen? Amen. Let me read you some more. It gets even better. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, and I purposely start in verse 21. Most people start in verse 22 when they're covering this topic, and it puts it in the wrong, it places it in the wrong context. <clears throat> and further, submit what? To one another. It's talking to couples now. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. That's where everybody wants to start in verse 22. And then every woman in the, in, the, in the room shuts down because she thinks she's being targeted. No, the context is we're to submit one to another out of reverence in Christ. Not that a husband's going to take this verse of Scripture, and I've seen husbands do this and become a dictator in the household. You know what happens to dictators, don't you? They usually either get shot, hung, their statues get torn down. Do not be a dictator. You don't want to be that guy. Amen? Amen? 
For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, recognize you've got to have a leader in the house. You can't have two heads. You've got to have a leader. For a husband is the head of his wife. Again, talking about leadership as Christ is the head of the church. Well, look at the illustration. Is Christ the dictator? No. Of course not. So following that example. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, here we go now. <clears throat> this means love your wives. Oh, okay. Okay. Why does he have to tell us? Because it doesn't come natural. Yeah, think about it. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave, his, gave up his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washing by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. What are we talking? This is God's will for marriage. Not that that person becomes a slave for you. Oh, man, did he get quiet that time? But, you know, you, know, you know, come home and you know, there's clothes all over the place and there's, you know, there's no food. Yeah, she's got a full-time job too, buddy. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. Verse 31, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, now watch this now. Pay attention to this, verse 33. He's summing the whole thing up. So again, I say, each man must love his wife, because we have to be told that, as he loves himself. And the wife must do what? Respect, Respect her husband. Now, the man has to be, the husband has to be commanded to love his wife because it doesn't come natural. The wife has to be commanded to respect the husband because that sometimes does not become natural. It's not automatic. Especially if the husband's not 100% up to par. But he doesn't say respect your husband when he's 100%. He says respect. He doesn't say love your wife when she's doing everything right, when she's doing everything you want. He said, love your wife, the way Christ loves the church. Does Christ stop loving the church when the church doesn't do everything he wants? Of course not. This is the will of God for marriage. The closer you and I align our marriages with the will of God, the more stability, the more effectiveness, the more rewarding, if I could use that, that term, the more of a blessing it's going to be. The more we refuse to line up with the word of God and tell me what to do, the more instability, the more disorder, the more dysfunction we're going to experience. Now, that wouldn't be that much of a big deal if you lived on a desert island, just you and your wife. There's nobody around to be affected by it. But the fact is, those of us that are married, we have a responsibility to align ourselves with the word of God. Why? We're being watched. Our children are watching us. Your neighbors are watching you. Your extended family are watching you. The people on your job are listening to your stories. And it's affecting people's lives. 
we're missing out on our assignments because we're trying to put ourselves first rather than the word of God and God's will. So guys, as Paul summed up in verse 33, I want to throw this out at you. He said, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So guys, do we realize that the greatest fear that can grip a woman's heart is a lack of security and a lack of safety and a lack of provision? The greatest gift that you can give your wife is to care for her needs and to make her feel secure and out of danger. Amen? Amen. Ladies, the tough guy that you are married to, who you think is just untouchable, he's just invincible, he is this, is probably the most fragile little boy on the inside. The deepest fear that your husband has is that he might not be good enough, that he may not ever be able to accomplish enough, and maybe may not ever be able to earn enough, and therefore he lives with the pressure of disappointing you. So ladies, the best gift that you can give your man is to believe in him, to stand with him when everything starts falling apart, when he starts doubting himself, when he starts realizing that he can't do what he used to do and he might not be able to accomplish that dream, stick with him, believe in him, respect him, honor him. Not, as, not, as, not in proportion to what he's done, but to get him there. All right, I'll move on. So we got that, right? God's will for marriage, yes? All right, good. Now I gotta move really, really quick here. The next is we wanna talk about God's will for our finances. Because if your finances are not lined up with the will of God, there's instability, there's disorder, there's destruction, there's all kinds of, there's lack, always. And if you have a hard time listening to talking about money in church, you would have had a hard time in Jesus' ministry too because he talked about it a lot. The word of God refers to wealth and prosperity all throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. The third epistle of John, verse two. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper. Is prosper a good thing? Are you afraid of prospering? No, 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 don't prosper me. Of course not. We want to prosper. He said it's God's desire that we prosper in all things and be in health as our soul prospers. The Holy Spirit through John is telling us God's desire is for you to prosper. God's desire is not for you to be worse than before you came into relationship with him. Now, let's talk about the truth about finances. God understands very well that on earth we need finances to care for our families, and it takes finances to spread the gospel. Listen to me. All right, we should have did this before. Everybody take a deep breath. Yeah, take a deep breath. And let it out. Now turn us to money and say money. money. See, it didn't hurt that bad, did it? So you don't like to talk about money in church, but you'll sit at home and you'll complain to everybody who comes to your house about how you can't pay your bills. Yeah, I can't believe it's electric. Do you believe it's electric bill? Last month it was $30 less, now it's more. You'll complain about, you'll complain about your water bill. You're going to complain. If you're uh, heading towards our season of life, you're going to, look at this. This pension check came in. It's still the same check, the same amount was last week. How am I supposed to make it? You'll talk about how expensive your kid's sneakers are. You'll complain about how much tax they take out of your check. It's okay for you to talk about outside of here where you're not going to get any solutions 
But in church, everybody gets a stomachache when you start talking about finances. And all we're doing is we're talking about and finding from the word of God, what does God say about the finances? And he says he wants you to prosper. He understands that it takes money to live on this planet. He understands another thing too, that the world system is not there for you to prosper. The world system is to keep you from prosperity. Just keep it out of your reach. Just, just barely out of reach. Keep it close enough so you want it, but to keep you in a position where you never get it. So that's why when you finally made, after six years, your last payment on your car, what happens to the car the next day? <clears throat> the warranty runs out on the refrigerator. What happens? The next day you open up, now you've got cottage cheese instead of milk. Are you listening to me? The system is there not for you to prosper, but to keep you enslaved in a mentality of doing whatever's necessary to always get, always, but you never get there. You listening to me? God gives us a system in his economy where we can attain that peace, where we can attain that contentment, that fulfillment. But you gotta cooperate. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. We're talking about putting God first with our finances, which is God's will as it's revealed in the word of God. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. From the first of all your produce, what are you supposed to do? Honor the Lord from, from where? From, from where? Honor the, Lord, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first, the first, the top. The cream of your produce. Now, obviously, he's talking to an agricultural society. So what is God's will for our finances? What purpose are they supposed to serve? They are supposed to honor the Lord. The way you handle your money is supposed to honor the Lord. The way we handle our finances and what we do with them is supposed to honor the Lord. And if you're a hoarder, that doesn't honor the Lord. If you're stingy, that doesn't honor the Lord. If you refuse to be generous, if you refuse to let God use your finances to bless somebody else or to use your finances to further the kingdom or to use your finances maybe to be planted in someone's life so that the next generation can hear the gospel, if you refuse to do that, that is not honoring the Lord. I don't expect any amens. But let's find out, and that's okay, that's okay, because this is information transfer, you're thinking about it. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 27, you probably were reading that this morning in your devotions, Leviticus. <laughs> and God helps us to further understand what is his will for your wealth? What is his will for finance? Well, pastor, I wouldn't exactly call it wealth. Well, whatever. The fact of the matter is the most miserable of us in this country live better than some rich people overseas. So we can't complain. He goes on to describe here in verse 30, one-tenth of the produce of the land, again, we're talking to an agricultural society, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, must be set apart to him as holy. What's not to understand here? He's saying the first 10% is mine. It's his. Why? Because he gave you the whole 100% to begin with. Thank God he only asked for 10%. If it was me, I would have went for 50-50 partnership. (laughs) 
Well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you agree or not. God is saying this is my will for the finances. Okay. So, in Malachi chapter three, he talks about this even further. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip the first couple of verses. I'm going to go to verse ten. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, Lord of, of, of the hosts, I will do what? I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll do it for you. I'll open the windows of heaven for you and will pour in a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed and your, your land will be, will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God's will for our finances is that we acknowledge that they come from him and that we're dependent upon him and that we put him first. He says, if you'll put me first, then you can have an expectation of the windows of heaven being open over your life and it always doesn't come back in just money because it's about honoring the Lord. Well, well that's Old Testament. It's actually pre-Ten Commandments. There are certain principles in the Word of God that stand out from amongst the law. And there's a very, very simple, basic rule of interpretation in the Bible. If God doesn't change it from Old Testament to New Testament, then neither do we. Now, we know that the dietary laws are different now in the New Testament. You can have all the barbecue ribs and all the bacon you want. God dealt with that. You don't have to worry about just wearing clothes with only cotton in them. You can go to Macy's and pick out an outfit that might be made a couple different blends. Wool, cotton. But in the Old Testament, you couldn't. Are you, are you listening to me? You could be stoned to death for having a job on a Saturday in the Old Testament that doesn't follow through. It's been changed. But there's nothing that changed about the time. Are you listening to me? So, obviously, I don't have time to go through this whole thing 100%. But understand this. You want your finances connected to God. You want them to have his seal on your finances. Because if God has connection to you, if you have willingly submitted your finances to God Almighty, and, and part of them serve the purpose to meet the needs of the poor, to feed those that are hungry, to clothe the naked, to shelter those who have no place to live. If it's going to furthering the kingdom of God so that the gospel goes out, now it's got the flavor of the kingdom of God on your finances. When the enemy tries to come against them, God promised, I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. In other words, I will shut down the destroyer that tries to come and rob your finances. Now, that doesn't mean that we're living in fairy tale land. It doesn't mean you're never going to have a challenge come against you. However, because you have taken your finances and you've dedicated to the Lord, you've taken them and, you've, and you're honoring him with it, then he takes responsibility of guarding over them and walking you through every crisis that you'll ever come through. You're, gonna, you're still going to have challenges. But my God, 
Trust me, and ask anybody in here who's been practicing this principle of the tithe. It's a whole lot easier to go through challenges knowing God's got my back when it comes to my finances than me having to worry about every little penny because I have never allowed him to have a part in my finances. It's a big difference. Are you listening? Again, I don't have the time to go through the rest of this, but I urge you, please, when you go home, go find out for yourself what God says about finances. Go find out the rest of the plan that he has for you. All he's saying is you can do whatever you want with the other 90%. In fact, Paul talks about it when he writes to the Corinthian church, and we call it 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says with the rest of what belongs to us, you get to decide what you want to give from there. That's offerings. Don't mix up the tithes and the offerings. So many people mix up the tithe and the offering. And so you come to church, you go anywhere to church, you, you, and you just automatically, whatever amount you're going to give, you put it under tithe. Don't do that. If it's an offering, then make it an offering. If it's a true 10% of what you've earned or your income or whatever investment you have and profit that you made, then put that under tithe. So, well, Pastor, I would love to do this, but I just I can't see my way to do it right now. Finances are tough. You know, I had a season where I was out of work. Don't you think God knows that? Don't you think God's grace is extended toward you? But what it comes down to is this. What is the motive of your heart? And if the motive of your heart is to, is to honor him, then even if you can't do the 10%, just determine in your heart and just say to God, look, I just can't see it right now. But I'll start at 3%. Start someplace. And, and, and then a couple of weeks from now, as things get better, I'm going to increase, I'll increase it to 5%. You have to know where your faith is. If your faith is not there to start doing the 10% off the bat, then don't do that. Start where you can start, but, but start heading in that direction. Why? Because you want to honor God. Uh, is that reasonable or not? Just start someplace. Start somewhere, and you'll see that God's blessing. And you'll just be so much more aware of the fact that, you know, my, my finances are now connected with God. And so when the attacks come, oh, oh no, devil, no. No, you can't touch me because my finances are they're connected to God. Are you listening to me? Here's what I want to say as we end this part four of this series in the zone. We talked about a lot of things over the past few weeks that God has revealed as his will, that he wants us to be saved. He doesn't want us to go to hell. And he's given us a way to do that. He's given us a way to circumvent going to hell and, and, and spending eternity with him. So that's his will. So walk in that. Follow that. Receive Christ. Make him your Lord and Savior so that you're following God's will for your life. Be the type of person that will, will, will just take the love that he's placed in your heart and distribute it to somebody else. Be the type of person, as we talked, to, talked about last week, instead of accusing your leaders, and all, pray for them because that's God's will for us. Be the type of person, like you said, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because the Holy Ghost is going to settle the problem and the issue that you started drinking to begin with. You, be, you just getting drunk and getting drunk and getting high and getting drunk and getting high and getting drunk. Well, every time you come down, every time you're sober, every time you get straight, guess what? Your problem is still there. But when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, that issue is going to get resolved. You see that? He told us to stay pure, stay away from sexual immorality. 
Stay away from adultery. Stay away from these things. He's revealed his will to us today about marriage. He's revealed his will to us about money. Just make the commitment before God. Lord, as you reveal your will to me, I'm going to walk in it. Why? We're better for it. He designed us where we thrive and we prosper when we are walking in his will. You are not designed to walk outside of God's will. Your, your, your soul is not designed to, your soul experiences anguish when we walk outside of God's will. Our mind gets affected when we're under so much pressure that we're not supposed to be experienced if we would walk in God's will. It is for our benefit that he has revealed his will. It is not to take something away from you. It is not to stop you from having any fun. It is to guard you. It is to protect you from all harm. Amen? Amen. So I urge you today, make a commitment to the Lord. Make a commitment to follow. Wherever those areas are that you recognize, yeah, I'm, I'm way out of will, out of God's will in this area. Make the commitment to get back on track with him. Amen? Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.